What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness, in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Why is pleasure so important? What can we do if we find ourselves feeling triggered over and over again? And why is moving away from gender binaries so important? I have had a sexpert crush on today's guest for some time, and I'm thrilled she agreed to a girl boner chat. First, a huge sponsor shout out to The Pleasure Chest, my favorite place to shop for sex toys, lube, and more. Please check them out at thepleasurechest.com or visit a physical store in New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app if you haven't. I'd also really appreciate a rating and review. I took a glimpse at reviews and was especially touched by a recent one from Leia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Leia, what you shared was so timely and meaningful for me, and I wanted to send some mutual thanks your way. Please keep that worthy and important work up in your life. Now I'm so pleased to introduce the incomparable Jamila Dawson. Jamila is a sex therapist, pleasure activist, and speaker with a master's in clinical psychology. Her focus? Breaking down sexual stigma in order to design relationships that center imagination, connection, and liberation. She sees clients in her private practice, presents nationally on sexuality, neurobiology, and wellness to mental health professionals, and teaches classes on kink, BDSM, and sexual enhancement to individuals, partners, and groups. Jamila, I'm so grateful to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal journey. Mm. Where to start? Um... I would say that my parents were rather socially conservative, even though they were both in the medical field. So on the one hand, I learned that you can talk about bodies, but I also learned that you couldn't talk about sex. Um, But I was always always interested in sex. And um, so if I fast forward, I was working at a film production company, just a regular one, um, that was going to go under. And I happened to see on Craigslist uh, an ad for a woman-owned and operated adult store. And I was like, here's my chance. I don't know what this means, but I want it. I want it. So I got hired and um, I loved it. I got to read about sex. I got to help people slow down and like not feel so embarrassed about sex. And it was amazing to watch people um, like they would come into the store and be all nervous and like not make eye contact. And then like, how can I help you? Can I talk to you about lubes? Can I share about condoms? Like what kind of toys? And then just watch them change. Mm. And um, I fell in love with that feeling. Wow. And what point in your life was this? Where Was this like in your teens, I was, 20s? I was probably, I lived in Paris for a year, came back. So it was probably 24, 25 around that time. Yeah. And when people hear adult store, I know growing up, the only adult stores I knew of had broken neon lights, so it'd be like the that X store or the like, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and like I call them the sticky floor stores where you're like, yeah. this doesn't feel good. Yeah. And, and it was scary because nothing in my life had prepared me to be a sexual person. Like as a black woman and a black curvy woman, I was very much like desexualized. And so like sex for me was this, like I wanted to know about it. 
I didn't want it to be scary. I didn't want it to be um, this unknown thing. Like I wanted some of that. And so part of my work has also been around like I help people around sex because I needed support around sex. And did your first job in sexuality working in this store did they educate you much as part of your training? Mm -hmm. They were really good about like go like take books, read them. Like we want you to be as informed as possible. We want women to be able to talk to other women about sex and pleasure and health. And then when I ended up at um, Good Vibrations, they briefly had an LA store. They were super heavy or Babeland. Sorry, no, Good Vibrations is not bought Babeland, um, but Babeland at the time had an LA store. And they were super like, you're going to learn about harnesses. You're going to learn about lubricants. You're going to be a sex educator. Mm. Um, and that was like, ah, oh, this. This yeah, is what I want. Yeah. And then at the pleasure chest, that's when I started really teaching classes. And then that was like, I was done at that point. I'm like, yeah. this is my life. This is what I want to do. Aww. And Babeland, Good Vibrations, Pleasure Chest, these are stores that completely defy that sticky floor right. image, right? Where right. it's very positive and colorful and... And welcoming. And you can literally ask the staff anything. They want to help. No judgment. And it's, we, especially we, when I worked there, we want you to have fun. We want you to have a great sex life. None of this. And to do it safely and to do it well. You know? Yeah. So it was, um, I really miss that a lot. Because it was, um, you know, like our Monday morning conversations were not typical. You know, some people like, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, watch the game, went shopping. Like, And we we're like, how was your weekend? Oh, the butt plug was amazing. Like, I finally got <laughs> fisted. Like, it was, you can't, once you have yeah. that, it's hard to go back. I totally know <laughs> what you mean. Yes, it's so true. It's so true. When, and when you're in that community, it's wonderful because everyone, whereas I know that for me, when I became very vocal about sexuality, mm -hmm. it would shock some people. Yes. Did you experience that? Oh, yeah. People, I remember being at a party and I was talking about what I did and I can't not be excited. And people literally edged away from me. Um, for years, my parents didn't really, like I told them what I did. They did not mention it. They wouldn't ask me about it. Um, it's, it was only after I got the, the master's. Um, so like, oh, okay. So this is okay. Cause it's, right. there's something more about legitimate. it being academic that, yeah. yeah. Which if yeah. you've learned all of these stigmas, then it's mm -hmm. hard to see through that. Right. At times. Right. So I've learned to have compassion with that. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot of, um, like people still think that sex therapists will have sex with their clients, which we do not. Um, and just and people are like, oh, don't you get bored talking about sex all the time? Which I literally have to like do my like therapist neutral face because inside I'm like, did you just hear your question? How that do you get bored? Yeah, like talking about sex. It's the most fascinating, endlessly interesting, endlessly. Yeah, yeah, and we're always discovering more about ourselves and sexuality as a whole. Right. What was the big right. epiphany that you had along the way? about sexuality, maybe in your training at the store or in your own mm. life where you just went, whoa. I guess like that what what I'm capable of, like what bodies are capable of, um, that this idea of normalcy, like that's, that's why I finally went back to school because I needed better tools because what people were really coming in the store for was to find out like, am I normal? Is it okay that I like this thing? Is it okay that I don't like this thing? And um, discovering, like, that's the wrong playing field. We shouldn't be thinking about, like, normal or abnormal, just consensual and exciting and expansive. 
or does it shut you down? That's what we should be focused on. Yeah. So you decided so, to go into it more therapeutically. Yeah. Did yeah. you have that same kind of um, connectedness and, and sense of purpose within counseling too right away? That's been more uphill. Um, the sex educator world is a lot more like open and fluid and they're kind of less constrained by um, we have to make this like scientific and very like rigid. Um, and I love being a clinician. I love, um, like I worked very hard to become a clinician and like, it's great. And it tends to problematize things and that, you know, most sex therapists talk about sexual dysfunctions as opposed to sexual pleasure and enhancement. And we also don't talk about culture and the role of like a lot of dysfunctions come because people have been shamed, right, about their bodies, about how they should be responding. And so it's really, um, I get into a lot of fights with other therapists about like your sex negative stance that you think is neutral is actually harmful. Mm. And um, I'm going to stay in this field and like push this. Mm. You know? That's such an important thing that you're doing. It's, it. it seems to have a sense of activism for you. Yes. Do you feel that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the concept of pleasure and social liberation is very important to you. Would you speak to what that means to you? Yeah, that to go back to one of your early questions, like my own journey, what I realized, like I had been trained to be so afraid of my body, so um, constrained about what I'm supposed to do, what I'm allowed to do, what is, um, what a, a black woman should be into. And as I kept experimenting, um, like with kink and, and other things, I was like, there's nothing to be afraid of. And, I, and look at all the energy people are focused on in trying to control, trying to deny, trying to restrain themselves. And that's not healthy. And what happens if we talk about pleasure as like, I want my own pleasure and I want you to be pleasured. And, and what if we become, like what if that's our stance? You yeah. know, of I want people to feel safe. I want consent to be not just in the sexual realm, but in like how we do our work how we do our economics, how we do um, not doing incarceration, but like how do we build community and connection relationship? Yeah, yeah. And that's driven by pleasure. There's a great book, Pleasure Activism, that everybody should be reading right it's now. It's on my list. I can't oh wait God. to read it. It's brilliant and phenomenal. Yeah, because pleasure that's... has this vibe about it of being frivolous. like Frivolous, oh, self-indulgent. No. <laughs> right, of like, oh, you, sh you shouldn't have too much of that. But like what if that was our baseline of... Like, I don't know about you, but after an orgasm, I feel so many things are possible. I feel mm -hmm. more generous. I feel more open. I feel more creative. And what if then we organized our lives from that place? Yes. You know? Yeah, 100%. Oh. Yeah. I'm so with you there. One of my favorite, if not the favorite, <laughs> chapter in my Girl Boner book is mm. on um, sex and privilege. Mm. And it doesn't get much buzz. <laughs> you know, it's, but I put yeah, it at the sad. end on purpose because okay. I thought, Privilege discussions and, and talk about different kinds of repression is not mm -hmm. what leads the masses to want to read a sex book, right? Like right. usually they're they're concerned about maybe they're struggling with orgasm. Exactly, all those things. Mm -hmm. And um and to me it was really important to to talk about because I I remember along my own journey, there were certain privileges I lacked and then certain privileges that I had mm -hmm. that really impacted my sexuality. Yes. You know, like yes. for one, I never struggled with orgasm. I, f mm -hmm. I feel like that's a privilege if you feel if you can 
experience that pleasure, right? right? As like more easily Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. But then I grew up with a lot of religious shaming too. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so I didn't mm-hmm. masturbate till I was 30. Like, mm-hmm, I think it's really mm-hmm. interesting to look at those different layers. Yeah, like our bodies give us access or access gets denied and it becomes liberatory to try to move through that. Yeah. But yeah, like it's, you know, in the kink scene still and definitely in um, swinger and even in polyamorous circles, there's certain bodies that are allowed to be sexy. Like thin white bodies, thin cis white bodies are allowed to be sexy. And there can be a struggle with that of people kind of like go after that and it can be like, oh, I guess I, I'm desired so I have to do the thing. And then for those of us who don't have those bodies, it's like, oh, you're not, sex isn't allowed for you. And so it becomes this, um, I mean, that was a big thing for me is declaring like I'm sexual and I love things that I don't think I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to do them because mm-hmm. I need that and I mm. deserve to have that. Yeah. And leading mm. by example is such an empowering thing. Like I feel yeah. like so much change starts within ourselves, which is mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. you do as a therapist too, is is helping people find their way, which I think is yeah. so important because every time we present a different example, you know. Right. Can yeah. People have different entry points and they can hear it in different ways, which is why we need both sex educators Completely. and sex therapists. Completely. How tightly linked do you feel that eroticism and creativity are? You mentioned orgasm, mm. spurring creativity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, eroticism and creativity, I consider them almost the same thing. That usually people hear the word eroticism and they immediately think sexual, which is fine because that's an element. Um, but I, when I'm lecturing, I talk about Audre Lorde's essay, The Power of the Erotic. And she talks about the erotic as life force, as the thing that moves us, the thing that when you see art, when you hear music and your body just moves towards it because there's something creative there, there's some possibility there. And so to me, eroticism is that thing, like this project, like Girl Boner. When you first started, there was, I imagine, no external like support or enthusiasm that was I have to do a lot of gasps and odd looks. Right. But inside (laughs) there was this like fire. Yes. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. life force, this creativity. You couldn't not keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, like if we had sex like that, where we follow the thing that feels good because we're curious just to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. If we did our businesses like that, what would change? Yeah. Do you see a lot of that metamorphosis? In your clients, I know you can't speak about specific clients, but mm-hmm. could you give us an example, even hypothetical, about somebody's who might be going through a particular thing and what happens when they do start embracing that life force? Mm. Like going through my internal Rolodex, although some people mm-hmm. might not remember what a Rolodex is. <laughs> <laughs> they probably see it in movies. Like. I hope so. <laughs> That's the image I have in my I head. I still miss the card catalog at the library. Oh my, I can right. smell it right now. Yeah, that like, and when you open it, the sound and the yeah. weight as you open the drawer. Yeah, oh, yeah. I miss that so much. Bookgasms. Yeah, I call like definitely like mm. a bibliophile. Yep. Like biblioeroticist. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like I've seen people. It first starts with like a relaxation. That's the first thing I see when um, they're like, oh, I can't like that or. Um, you know, I want to I want to have I want to be able to like have penetrative sex and have him like inside me and orgasm. And I'm like, but there's other ways to orgasm. Did you know that? Like and they're like, there are. I'm like, yeah, your your nipples can simulate an orgasm. Your back can like your, your there's all sorts of different orgasms. And they're like, 
what? Like, yeah. Like, why don't you go try that instead of trying to fit your body into normal? Yeah. Um, or when people are interested in kink, you know, like that's a big one. A lot of my clients are like, I think I'm kinky. I don't know. Like, but I hear they just are like hurting people. And I'm like, well, there's a good hurt, and then there's a bad hurt. Right. Not but always it, well depicted in mainstream films. Right. And most times it's really like what people see is super scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly when it comes with kink, that's when I see people, um, like the first time they give themselves permission to like get spanked or they try it with their partner and they're like, he spanked me or she spanked me and I really liked it and it was better than what I'd fantasized about. Wow. That when they find a reality that's better than anything that's been in their head. Wow. And I look across at them and watch them become more themselves. It reminded me of that look you can see in a little child who discovers something that they're really excited about that you've seen a million times but they've never seen. Yes. You know, like my niece seeing the inside of an avocado in Minnesota where, you know, right, they're not, there's no avocados. Right. Like, no avocados. Um, but to, to like that, like, that sort like, of like wild wonder. Right. Eyes wide, like breath in the body. Like, yeah. just, this is amazing. Yeah. And that never gets old, ever, mm. ever. And that must really do so much for that initial uh, question issue. As you mentioned, so many people come into you saying, am I normal? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to have that permission to to say not only is it okay, but hey, it's actually really important that you do awesome. that, yeah. right? Yeah. Like this is your life, and go yeah. play. And as you said, when we were kids, we could make whole worlds out of what a bottle and a couple of sticks and some cardboard, right? And somehow, as adults, we we don't let ourselves do that anymore. Yeah, it's really important to embrace that because I do think it then seeps into the other areas of our lives. Absolutely. Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to talk a little bit about um, moving away from binaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's something that I've learned a whole bunch about since since starting Girl Boner, and it's been such a gift for me is, is learning more about the whole kind of, some people say spectrum, some people mm-hmm. call it more like swirly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, for somebody who's kind of new to, like even the term non-binary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how do you describe gender and what the binaries are? I mean, like, gen- the gender binary is like there's only men and women, and there's only the gender you were assigned at birth, and that's your real gender, and none of that's actually accurate. Um, humans, like, every single, like, there's three of us in the room right now. Every single one of us has a different gender identity and also a different gender, like, makeup, like, chromosomally, hormonally. So there is no, like, this is a true woman, this is a true man. All of it is a complete, I don't even think like spectrum, like it is a magnificent garden. Mm, um, infinite variety. Infinite, infinite variety. garden. Yeah. Like it's wild. And so it becomes a matter of, again, stepping away from you have to be as close as possible to one side or the other. And it becomes what is my deepest expression that may change, that may, like I identify as a femme, like I love my nails, I love my hair. I'm very much um, connected to my body as a way of knowing. That's not um, a masculine, linear, like I have to have like an objective reason for how I feel. Like that doesn't, like I've been taught to distrust how I function in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me years to realize like that's another way of knowing that's as legitimate as like this reason equals this reason, you know? Yeah. So I want people to, so so that's how I would describe it, of like, the binary is one more lie, like, stop 
believing that and start being your particular gender expression, you know, like, I mean, even guys like cis guys. And I work with a lot of cis straight men and oh, my God, like so trapped. Like that's that's why I love working with them. Why it's very painful. They are so trapped in this is what it means to be a man. Mm. They don't actually know a lot of times what they truly like, what they truly want. They, they're like, oh, my penis is like getting sucked and that's great. But they don't know other areas of their body that feels good. Like they're, they are a mystery to themselves. And probably not very encouraged historically to express their feelings. Right, right, to link their feelings with behavior as opposed yeah. to separating and fragmenting them. And then once you learn how to dissociate like that, of course you can do that very easily to somebody else. They become a thing to you because you're a thing to yourself. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, that was really profound. Mm, mm. You work with people who are going through different types of trauma or healing from trauma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, As somebody who who relates to that personally and also hear from so many people um, about this topic, I'm so grateful for the the work that you're doing. I'm curious what role mindfulness plays in – do you use the phrase healing from trauma? I don't. Great question. I don't use the word healing from trauma. Um, I talk about trauma management. I love that. And um, mindfulness has everything to do with managing trauma. Which ties into that definition, too, because mindfulness has so much to do with observing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's so easy to fight our feelings and, right. and shame them. Yes. Yeah. Which is this, that's the... The secondary trauma, like the thing happening is bad enough, but then we learn to shame that response or shame what comes from that instead of this is the response that I have to that. Yes. And like and welcoming or at least allowing that to happen. Um, So we talk about trauma management um, and I have my own trauma and I, I have learned how to what I call kind of step into the storm and like something is happening right now. And that's that's what needs to happen right now. Mm. Yeah. That's so huge. I remember going to a therapist, and you, you might hear this a lot. <laughs> I went in saying, like, hello, I've been triggered a lot, and I need to stop being triggered. Like, I'm here to have the triggers surgically removed from my head and my heart, <laughs> and then I would like to be happy again. So here's right, some money. Can you fix me? Yes. <laughs> but yes. she was just like um, – and I remember hearing the goal is not – to stop the triggers. And that was so hard for me to accept. It runs counter to everything in this culture, which is like improvement and development and like you're, you want to be unstoppable and like you can do it if you just put your mind to it. And, and which makes the shaming works. worse because mm-hmm. like the quotes you see online and some of the different sort of self-help gurus and stuff like that who have these these massive brands and you, and you think, oh, this, this person's really popular, be, right? Mm-hmm. They must be really great at what they're doing. And they say things like, you can feel however you want to at any moment. Right. And you're like, well, then I must be broken because this right. came out of nowhere. Right. All of a sudden I was fine. And now I'm like in this in this you know, flashback or I'm feeling angry, like I must be broken. There must be something wrong with me. And I per- I am furious with um, any of these self-help people who shame the responses that come to the body. Like I look at the body as its own ecosystem, which means sometimes there's storms and sometimes they happen out of nowhere. And you just batten down. You don't control a storm. You don't go, I can't shame on this storm. I can't believe it's... A- you just write it out, protect yourself. Yeah. 
stay yeah, inside if you can. Get your like storm lantern yeah. and like be gentle until it's over and then come out and take stock. Mm. So um, yeah, like if really what's interesting is the things that people can do to help themselves if they've got trauma going on are actually the same things you can do just to enhance your sex, which is slowing down, breathing, trying to like um, skin on skin contact if that's something that can happen for both people, gentle eye contact. Because a lot of us, we tend to like dissociate um, during sex or um, again, like have flashbacks and letting partners know like, hey, this is this is gonna happen. Can you help me? Mm. And like helping me like just hold my hand, you know, That's just call so my lovely. name. Yeah, yeah. How does a person know when they need more help than they can give themselves. So mm. someone who's fighting these feelings or mm-hmm. feeling very triggered, going through some sort of after effect of trauma mm-hmm. and they're they're trying to meditate and they're trying to breathe and all this stuff and but they're not they're not quite getting to where they could can thrive. Yeah, because that's really the goal, right? Is not to just like survive but to thrive. <laughs> what I would say is um one, healing healing happens through the relationship. Like harm happens through relationship, and so healing can only really happen through relationship and recovery through relationship. Um, so you tell people, like, it's it depends on what's your, your context. So if you're noticing that your work life is suffering, that you are super harsh with yourself, you're very harsh with other people, that um, you've got symptoms of depression or anxiety, or just a sense of like numbness. Maybe PTSD. Um, right, if you're having flashbulb memories, definitely. Um, if you have trouble, you know, operating, like understanding where you are, you know, if you um, can't kind of track, like if you lose time in your day, things like that, like get support, get support, and find somebody who is trauma informed um, because you can't. And this is what I is so painful. Usually, it's really intelligent, deeply feeling people who come to me, and they've been shamed around. I should have been. I should be able to handle this. I should be able to figure this out. And it's like no, you need another person, and that's not bad. That means you're incredibly human. Mm-hmm. Like, please let somebody else support you. And that then, it's not and a weakness. That not it's, at all. It's not at it all. takes courage and strength to to seek help. Right, and it's a reasonable response. Trauma. <laughs> is a reasonable response to extraordinary events. Mm. Like that's Say that one more time because I think it's so important. That trauma is a reasonable response to extraordinary events. Yeah. Like your body is brilliant. Like the thing that happened or the thing that continues to happen, your body's like, okay, we're going to try to dissociate or we're going to freeze or we're going to try to be friends because that will like we'll, we'll fawn because that will allow us to like get to the next moment, survive the next moment. Your body will find a way to help you survive. It wants you to survive. How it does that sometimes can be um, can feel painful afterwards, but your body was doing what it needed to do to get you to the next moment. That's its goal. Trust that. You know. Trauma management, what does that look like? I'm sure it's different for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that sometimes when we hear we're going to manage it, sometimes you know, it might bring up fear around like, well, does that mean every day I'm going to feel like this? Is it going right. to stay like this? Yeah, and I tell people that as you start to integrate new practices, and I love the word practices because it's practice. It's not hitting the mark and doing it perfectly and it's going to immediately change. 
But as you do practices, the body does want to be well. And so it will adapt. And then there's exponential growth. And I tell people, like, if you do this, you're never going to feel this bad again. I promise you that. Mm. You have new tools. You're not where you were before. You're older. You have different supports now. It will never be that bad again. And as you keep these practices and get external supports, community, books, groups to help you maintain that support, exponential growth, I mm. promise you. And rewards too beyond? Beyond what you could ever imagine. Like yeah. it's it's not that I think um, trauma like leads to breakthroughs. That's a horrible thought to have. Like, like you need to have trauma first. To, <laughs> right, in order to like, now I've grown. Not yeah, at all. No. But it can be leveraged. It can be mm. great fertilizer. Um, and you'll have an opportunity to know yourself because this culture is such a dissociated one. If you're going to survive trauma, you have to live fully to survive it and to thrive. And that's an amazing gift. Mm. Like I experience my life much more deeply as I've learned how to handle my trauma. And that's been um, an amazing, amazing like experience and gift. That's really yeah. beautiful. And the people in my life are the ones who like support my development and growth. And so I'm not just dissociating and putting up with stuff, you know, like I used to. Right. You have to be much more conscientious about right. who your circle is. Right. Who and amplifies all of that. you. Yeah. Who makes you feel erotic and alive. Yeah, right? yeah. Reaching out to people in your circle. Mm. Did that come e- easy to you? Oh, Lillian? absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, good. Because I was like, I don't, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> when you're, I can't relate to people who, um, yeah, who haven't had to really, like, str- like I have had very, very, like, difficult nights of the soul. Um, and I was raised to be very independent. I was raised, like, you go find the answers. Like, the answer is somewhere you just need to keep looking for it. Um, you're smart, so go go figure it out. And so asking for help and being vulnerable, um, I, I it felt dangerous. Wow. It felt dangerous. Um and as a black woman, like, to some extent, it is dangerous to be vulnerable. Like, even in the mental health field throughout my training, I learned, unfortunately, that I could not relax all the time. I could not be vulnerable, that that would trigger off somebody trying to shut me down mm. or that I would be perceived because I was feeling something as now angry and then um, too much. Wow. And so I also try to support people of, like, the tools you've picked up since your trauma can be still useful. I will tell people like, you don't need to get rid of those old coping tools. They can still be useful. We just want additional ones. Yeah, and using them on command or is it right. like, I'm disassociating for my entire life. Exactly. As a, right, <laughs> I'm just going to tune out right now because that person <laughs> right. is much, dangerous I'm to gone. me and goodbye. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which and is self-protection. Yeah. Right, because the body wants to protect itself. Yeah. But what happens if we can choose, oh, that thing that I used to be able to do, I can still do that. And now this is the moment to use it. Mm, that's like, beautiful. I want people to have that sense of, again, they're not broken. Like they have survived, they're continuing to survive, and they are, the creativity is there. Mm. It sounds like for you, creativity is very um, synonymous too with our sexuality. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if that's um, kind of what I've discovered in the kink world, um, because it was the first place I'm like, oh, I can have an erotic experience and not have to have penetrative sex with somebody. Like penetrative sex and 
eroticism and orgasms are separate? What? What? <laughs> what is this? This amazing heaven? Like, right? It it's was like incredible. Alien planet or something? It's, it felt like that. It really did. Yeah. But once you know that, then so many things you can be creative. Like, what's sexy to me? What's sexy to the other person? Like, where do we want to go in our minds and bodies? And then, like, it spills out into everything else. What are some of the first steps for someone who wants to have more creativity in their sex life? Maybe they're, you know, they're not in a any kind of community. This is their their like first step. In their step. head. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much in their head. I was get connected to your body. Like, find out. One of my favorite movies is Amelie. Did you ever see that? Years ago, yeah. Okay. Most people don't remember this scene, but there's a scene where she goes down to the market, and she is... Like she puts her hand in a bag of lentils and you just see her feel them and how delicious it felt. Start there. Go through your life. I don't know if it's like I was saying this before Maria Kondo, but she's brilliant. Um, but find out what makes what gives you pleasure. What are the scents that give you pleasure? What are the colors that give you pleasure? What are the sounds that give you pleasure? And start bringing that more into your life. And it will change you'll start like I love suits and I used to like I used to watch James Bond a lot and now I realize oh I kind of am a suit fetishist like I love suits like I really love suits yeah, <laughs> so, that's awesome. so you just keep kind of tracking what is erotic to you what makes you feel alive and then how do you deepen that and then how do you really like integrate that into things that you do to your body what do you listen to when you're playing with yourself or even just touching yourself how are you touching yourself those are great questions, and I love that you mentioned things that are not overtly sexual, you know, that because I think so often right. when we hear from people who are concerned about not being able to experience a certain kind of pleasure in sex, and usually it has to do with, like, the penetrative sex, and that's all they've learned about, or right. Right. shame, or whatever, and so there's so much hyper-focus on, I need pleasure right there, right, right. when I need it, right. and, and right. to give that space to say, in your life, because... Do you find a strong connection between a lack of experiencing pleasure in your sexual experiences and your life at large? Yeah, that I, I've seen people who can have like very good sex, but they keep it, it's very kind of rigid and siloed. Um, and there is like, there's a, a sterility in the rest of their life. Whereas people who are a lot more integrated and curious and creative in their sex life, it does, it permeates everything else that they do. And I think it's, um, how do I put this? Like that sense of layering into your life, like you have to practice. It's really, it's really that simple of if we're coming through life most of the time dissociated and not paying attention to our bodies and running them ragged and not listening to when they're hungry or tired, but then suddenly we get in the bedroom and we're supposed to be like, come on, work, have an orgasm, feel good. Like, right. th- how does that make any sense? It's like somebody so yelling true. at you, relax, have pleasure. <laughs> when you've like, we have not, we, what is what is that? What is this P word thing? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. so sometimes maybe intentionally starting outside right and then working so like firming up the ground you don't you know again if you have a garden and it's like dry and hasn't been watered or fertilized grow Mm -hmm. i want something to grow right here right no yeah you have to get the ground ready you have to make it well ready yeah you know to grow something to have something yeah how has this work impacted your life 
um, mm. working with clients, has it had a, an impact on your own sense of self and sexuality? It's made me really grateful for the experiences that I've had. It's also made me very angry at what I would consider dumb luck that like I've had my own not great experiences, but I've had a lot more great experiences than not. And what makes me angry is that it was just luck that that happened. There, our culture is so sick when it comes to sex that it was only an accident that something worse didn't happen to me. And I sit across from people who something worse has happened to. um, And that things continue to happen to, like if they are a person of color, if they're trans, if they're non-binary, if they are um, into things that aren't socially sanctioned, they are continuing to suffer. um, And that I can't, I can't stand that suffering. How do you manage the anger? Doing things like this, doing podcasts and speaking about this piece, um, the stuff that I write when I train other clinicians so that they're not part of the problem. Um, I take the anger because, again, I think anger is not um, it's not a bad thing. And again, a lot of us, particularly femmes um, and cis women are taught that anger is bad and unladylike. You know, I've been taught, like, you don't want to be the angry black woman. They won't listen to you. And so I got rid of my anger. But of course, you can't get rid of anger right it's gonna go somewhere right yeah so now what i i think of it what's righteous anger Mm. and then use that again as a creative force i'm going to create a presentation i'm going to write a book i'm going to lecture about this thing i can't stand more people suffering around something that should bring such transformation and joy more of that fuel and fertilizer it sounds like yeah that's really really that'll be my bumper sticker sex it's fuel and fertilizer (laughs) That's the name of one of your books. You just decided. <laughs> Love it. You're actually going to be speaking at Sex Down South. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, a friend of mine, um, Delisha from Afrosexology, and everybody should like look them up. They're incredible. Um, told me like I was presenting somewhere, and she was like, "No, you need to go to Sex Down South." So it's um, POC run and focused, and it's a sexuality conference in Atlanta at the end of this year. I can't wait. I'm going to be talking about trauma and pleasure. Um, And also, if people, they have this great, generous deal. Like, if people, um, they can use my name, Jamila, and get 20% off registration. Awesome. So, Jamila, 20% off registration for Sex Down South. Oh, that sounds so much fun. But I can't wait. Yay. So exciting. And if people want to learn more about your work and follow along with your journey and your activism, tell us where they can find you. They can find me on Facebook, Jamila Dawson. They can also find me on Instagram as Jamila D. Sex Therapy. Um, And then through my website, jamiladawson.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Great questions. A true pleasure. Today's listener question is an important one. It came from Janice, who wrote this. My husband had heart surgery a few months ago. We were given the go-ahead to be physically intimate again, but I am terrified of raising his heart rate. Too many TV shows where someone has a heart attack that way, I suppose. I'd like to know how to engage in sex safely and without my anxiety causing us more problems. Janice, thank you so much for your question. Here is what Dr. Megan of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Janice, thanks so much for your question. And I can imagine, you know, you and your husband have been through so much, um, and I'm glad to hear he's on the other side recovering from his heart surgery. 
And although I can appreciate there's a part of you that's concerned about the intimacy, physical intimacy, and the exertion that it's going to place, um, rest assured that um, the reason your doctors gave the go-ahead is because I imagine he's already at a place of, you know, potentially walking up two flights of stairs or that brisk walking. Because what we know is that having sex takes about that same kind of exertion. And so it's a general guide that if you can do that level of exercise, exercise without getting, you know, chest in his uh pain in his chest or shortness of breath, he's probably going to be fit enough to have sex. And the most important thing for you to know is that the potential of triggering a cardiac event is very, very low. Um, in fact, a report from the American Heart Association said that it was 0.6 to 1.7%. So again, here's an example where I think Hollywood, you know, um, and TV shows where you see this is maybe a not uncommon event is sort of distorting reality and, um, so it's important to go back to the facts and the statistics. And in end of that important to note in that report, of those 82 to 93 percent were men, and 75 percent were having extramarital sexual activity. And in most cases, with a younger partner in an unfamiliar setting, and/or after excessive food and alcohol consumption. So you can sort of see in that context of, you know unfamiliar event, uh, not your typical partner, how all those things would um, increase you know, cardiac risk. So fortunately, those are none of the things that you have to worry about. And basically, you know, you said it's um, several months out because that's what you have to do is really just have him wait until his breast bone has healed. And that is usually about the six to eight weeks after the operation. But I want you to be recognizing that some sexual positions are going to be more comfortable than others. And I certainly would recommend potentially your being on top or side by side, something that's certainly going to have less physical exertion. And really, the important thing here is just to take things slow, knowing that there are many ways to give and receive pleasure. It doesn't have to lead to penetration. In fact, I would start on sort of how to rebuild your intimacy and focusing on the kiddling, uh, the kissing, the cuddling, the kind words, hand holding, and all the different ways in which you sort of experience togetherness. And just sort of stay open-minded about all the different ways to um, explore your sexuality. Because I say, you know, even independent of the heart attack that your husband went through, you know, most couples fall into what I sort of refer to as scripted sex. So um, it can really feel sort of like a routine or a rut. So this is really an opportunity. I sort of say the biggest sex organ is our mind, but the biggest organ is our skin. So head to toe, so essentially exploring... Um, you know, and playing around with touch, you know, light um, or firmer pressure. This is where, again, massage oil can always come in handy. And, you know, thinking about all the different ways to experience pleasure and increase pleasure and build arousal in your bodies. But as I said, taking all the time you need. And importantly, you know, discussing the concerns that you have with your husband, because I think he equally may be having some of those concerns. And so I think when you're having that open dialogue and communication, you both are on the same page, you both know that you're going to be watching out for any kind of breathlessness or physical exertion, and you're going to just take all the time you need. So as always, I would love to hear how it goes. I love what Dr. Megan said about if he's able to exercise and he has that go ahead and he's been doing that and having no problem, he's probably very ready to have sex and your doctor's right. And that study she mentioned was so interesting. I found another study that might be helpful to hear about as well. It showed that when heart attacks do happen during sex, resultant death was linked with delayed time getting to the hospital, which the researchers were able to link with embarrassment. 
In other words, the individuals didn't call for help quickly enough because they were embarrassed that they were having sex when it happened. So while I think Megan is absolutely right and you don't have to worry, I would personally keep that in my own back pocket if I were in your shoes for my own ease of mind. And I really talk to my partner about the findings and agree that we would definitely call 911 not, you know, right away if anything happened, if there was difficulty breathing or chest pains. Just having that plan in place might help. I also really like the idea of easing back into sex with sensual massages and that kind of thing. I'm wishing you so much health and pleasure. For more from me, Jamila, and Dr. Megan Fleming, please swipe or scroll down in your smartphone app where you can also show support by rating and reviewing the show. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.